The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. So, Ilya, episode 41. Episode 41 is finally here. That happened. That's right. And we're really excited that Vanya Chernel is going to be on the show. He's amazing, amazing, amazing. Tell, tell our listeners a bit about his work. Oh, my God. Uh, Vanya has shot all kinds of incredibly uh, fantastic movies and TV series. Uh, people might remember uh, Crazy Rich Asians. He yeah. shot that. Uh, L- little course, movie kind of, you know, kind of yeah. came and went. Nobody yeah. ever heard of it. <laughs> that's some pretty thick sarcasm you got there that's a, yeah that a major touchstone movie uh, uh yeah yeah so um also of course little shows like uh, orange is the new black yeah so yeah just been yeah. around the block a little bit yeah he's he's done in- incredible stuff so uh he's read the manual yeah so 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 ben uh i'm really excited about this interview i did this interview actually uh a while ago it's been sitting in the can uh but of course uh in episode 39 uh we had Matt Clark on yeah. and Matt Clark had done a bunch of work with with Vanya. I think wasn't Vanya kind of his uh, mentor figure or at least like somebody who helped him kind of break into a new level of what he was doing. I, I think uh, that he gives him a lot of credit for yeah. that. And and Vanya is uh, is an incredibly incredibly kind hearted, really you know incredibly uh, wonderful fellow and I, I really enjoyed this uh, interview and it is one of the very first interviews that I ever did uh, myself without you know you or anyone else so without it, my expertise in in asking questions and listening so yeah it might, it might not be my best interview <laughs> being like one of my very first oh, like that but but uh, be kinder to yourself you're very uh, good at anyway that. anyway I think that uh, I think that we will all enjoy uh, Vanya Chernel there we go <laughs> The Cinematography Podcast Interview. Vanya Chernel, thank you so much for sitting down with the Cinematography Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Vanya, um, people probably know your work from uh, your hit movie, uh, of course, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, but then, of course, uh, 30 Rock and a, uh, tons of other television series. Um, I first became acquainted with your work in 2005. Uh, I happened to go to uh, the AFI Film Festival in uh, Los Angeles, and I saw what I believe was the theatrical premiere of a movie called Risk Cutters, A Love Story. <laughs> w- were you there for that screening? I was not there for the screening, but it's still one of my favorite films. It really is a lovely movie, and I remember thinking to myself, uh, even when it when it was over, and I thought to myself, that movie didn't exactly work for me. I love the premise, I love the concept, I love elements in it, but the cinematography sure was great. I remember thinking to myself, like, this is probably an extremely low budget movie, and they did uh, amazing work that way. So, uh, congratulations! Uh, I'm always amazed to see what people are able to do with very very little resources, and I got the feeling on that movie, you probably didn't have many resources. So. No, no, it was uh, we were literally uh, just uh, like a like a like a circus going around uh, we uh, you know we didn't have very experienced crew and uh, it was one of those experiences that just uh, that you remember as a great experience uh, I also love the film but uh, but the experience is, is uh, was so valuable to me uh, because of all the friendships and I, I became a friend with the director for life 
That's fantastic. Um, and that's kind of actually a, a wonderful part of this industry that I think a lot of people um, maybe don't, uh, who are on the outside, don't realize that uh, once you work on uh, a movie with someone, in some ways it's kind of like, uh, I, I, I don't want to minimize going to war, but it is almost like it's going through some sort of maybe minor trauma together uh, because uh, everyone has to be pushed, I think, a little bit outside of their comfort zones, whether because it's uh, physically demanding to do it or maybe the hours are tough, but working on a movie has all these stresses and things involved in it, and there's almost a bonding that, that takes place. Maybe it's... Um, uh, maybe it's not quite Stockholm syndrome, but everyone, like I think, that survives and is, and likes to be around each other, has a new bond or experience because you went through something that was, uh, you know, in some ways stressful because everyone wants to 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 shine and to do their best. But then at the same time, it's it, the the circumstances when there's no money in particular means right. that it's a it's a very difficult show. So or a very difficult job. Um, but hey, you've gone on since then to do all kinds of other uh, all kinds of other fantastic stuff. I think the next time that I noticed, I think I noticed your name in the credits as and made the connection with wrist cutters was Thirty Rock. Mm-hmm. So and you shot Thirty Rock for a long time, didn't you? You shot a lot of Thirty Rock. Not for I shot first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came in after episode uh, three, so I, I think episode four was my first uh, first episode, and it was also first TV sh- show, first uh, episodic that I've done. Uh, before that, I only did uh, one pilot mm. for Ugly Betty, mm. and uh, Thirty Rock for me was a very uh, important experience because it was the first time I was working on on the stage, mm. and I was learning how to work with the production designer to uh, um, to make sets more efficient um, because all, all my previous work was location based you know I was doing uh, mostly small independent uh, films in in New York um, all location based in tight you know small apartments uh, and on the New York streets so this was the first time I was uh, I was able to start uh, learning about how uh, how I can uh, take advantage of being on the set on the set also the first time I, w- I was uh, I, I had to uh, work with uh, multiple cameras um, which was also a new experience for me so I was learning a lot on that show um, how, how did you come to that show if you, never uh, having shot on a, a stage before and then it, this is a big this is a big program this is a NBC broadcast then major network yes show. Yeah. prime time it's well it's really, really funny I was a uh, you know uh, as I said uh, most of my work before w- were dark pressing small <laughs> films mm-hmm. uh, uh, lots you know lots of silhouettes very dark and uh, I uh, you mentioned risk cutters uh, that year uh, at Sundance Film Festival I had uh, I had two films in competition mm-hmm. uh, risk cutters and uh, another small film called forgiven mm-hmm. and uh, it gave me l- uh, you know I, I got a little moment there but I was uh, getting attention and uh, uh, director Rip- Richard Shepard was there with his film the matador That's uh, a great movie Great movie, yes, yeah. and uh, I didn't know him, and uh, and he noticed me, and uh, he was uh, getting ready to shoot uh, a big pilot in New York that year, which was a, a pilot for uh, Ugly Betty, the mm-hmm. Touchstone TV project, and uh, he interviewed me and decided to hire me to shoot his pilot, and it was at that time the biggest the biggest project I, I, I was ever uh, even interviewed for, and. Uh, Everybody was was really against hiring some some <laughs> somebody who doesn't have any experience with television or with with a with a 
studio project, but Richard insisted on hiring me, which for, I'm forever grateful to him, and uh, which was a big risk for him. He kind of launched the new chapter of your career. He, I mean, he, definitely, because because uh, I mean, uh, Orange is the New Black, as uh, it Nurse Jackie. There was there's been a bunch of uh, the do tons of television. You've done you've done yes. tons of television. Well, I've done much more television than I ever, ever planned to. Do. Mm, okay. uh, my 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 uh, main focus was always uh, feature feature film. Mm. Uh, work but at that time in, in New York it was just uh, just uh, a lot of television was was uh, interesting television was, was coming to the city and uh, I was uh, I was because of the success of, of ugly Betty it was it, it, it turned out to be a very successful uh, uh, series um, mm. I didn't do the series I only shot the, the pilot I started all of a sudden getting getting offers for television comedy which I never never knew I would ever be able to get hired on it on, on a comedy because of all the dark dark work that I've done before um, so that's how I got on Thirty Rock. Well, uh, well, that's great because because uh, Thirty Rock, um, uh, Thirty Rock has a great look too. And I know that when you're working in television, uh, and I th don't think a lot of people realize this, but working in television, you have to work very very quickly. Right. You have um, you have you have to make your days, or or scenes get cut and shows don't happen. And uh, there's a, there's a lot of stresses in, in television. So uh, I know that the really really good television DPs are worth their weight in gold and they and, and I know sometimes people are concerned about getting pigeonholed but the people who are successful they work a very long time we've had some really great television DPs on on our on our podcast and uh, it, it is in some ways the best job security though because you can work quickly and you can work well and people tend to love that and uh, I will tell you that uh, 30 Rock, I think I, I, I watched, uh, I, I know I watched all that first season. I think I watched all, all the seasons of it, but uh, it's a really good look. It's a really wonderful thing that you created, and to know that you'd only done a pilot before that is, is kind of amazing. So, hey, uh, w well done. Um, well, the, the, you know, of course you have to work quickly in television, but I didn't, at the, at the time, it felt really luxurious to me, you know, because <laughs> my background was, I was shooting films in, in 18 days, or oh, 21 wow. days, you know, it was a... Uh, I think, but you're uh, doing a tel uh, like a show in a week, though, right? You've got like maybe seven we days. We had we had uh, five days. Five, five days, days, exactly. But that's not that's not that luxurious, though. I mean, no, I but you know, <laughs> where I was coming from at the time, it, it felt like I didn't didn't feel I was under more pressure than I'm used to on 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 uh, independent features that I was doing at the time. So okay, gotcha, gotcha. So so Thirty Rock sort of uh, starts this this new this new chapter, and um, tell me what uh, when you left that and you started doing uh, doing other work. What was the um, what was the decision? You wanted to do something new. You wanted a different challenge. You wanted to, to go back to doing some some more long form work. What's what, what what's uh, what's next? What 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 uh, why did you leave Thirty Rock? Well, I was I was looking to you know, it was it was a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. Great people um, uh, and uh, and the amazing crew, but I felt it was uh, it, I had to uh, challenge myself with different kind of work. Once mm -hmm. you know, once we figure out the stages and everything, it felt. Uh, um, that I can't add anything, anything more, and uh, and I need to change myself. So I was trying to get uh, a more uh, more dramatic uh, work, and uh, because you know how how people hire for your previous work, it was it That's was right. it, it took a little bit for me to get out of the half-hour comedy, uh, and uh, I was uh, I was uh, I, I did uh, uh, 
Bored to Death, I think, was the, s- mm-hmm. the, the series they did after that. That was a great series, HBO series. It was yeah. al- so much fun. And Jason uh, Schwartzman, Ted Danson, and uh, Zach Galifianakis, was it? That's, that's right. All and right. They, they, loved, they loved the show. They loved each other. They were, you know, they w- they were hanging out on the set just to be with, with each other. It just was the greatest atmosphere. Um, it was also a half-hour comedy, but uh, it was all location-based. And so dark. Oh, that was not that was not a bright. Li- exactly. Yeah, so it g- gave me the opportunity to to, to do some uh, more interesting lighting uh, and uh, and to do location work, which I which I always enjoyed. Um, and uh, each each episode on 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 board to that felt like a little indie because we were moving around. Uh, we shot on all major landmarks in in New York. I think it was the only only show where I've done all three seasons. Uh, from pilot to the last one uh, myself because it was just so much fun. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, that, that's fantastic. Uh, you've got such a long filmography. I, I know that you know it all at the top of your head, but there's certain things that I would like to highlight. So what I'm actually going to do right now is pull up your <laughs> pull up your filmography on IMDb. Uh, we definitely need to talk about Orange is the New Black because uh-huh. uh, in some ways you took some of the um, television, I mean, because that, that is very much a dramedy, uh, but uh, you took some of the television characteristics of stuff that you might do more on a stage and you applied it to a a one hour more dramatic format and uh, I'd like to say that I don't think that there's um, a lot of shows on television that look like Orange is New Black and I think that I think that's uh, that's really cool how did you um, how did you come to that Um, thank you it was well I I think I did uh, I did uh, Nurse Jackie on Nurse Jackie, I, I, I had to work with a lot of uh, fluorescent units uh, that were built into the set. Uh, and uh, I, I, I learned how to control those fluorescents and, and how, to, how to still add some, some contrast uh, and uh, how to get an interesting look with large uh, uh, soft sources like that. And uh, on Orange is the New Black, we, we wanted to have a balance uh, between uh, a location of, of, of reality on, on, the, on the prison set and also something that would be that would be too harsh on the on the on our um, cast so um, we uh, insisted on, on 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 building the hard ceilings on over the whole set uh, because uh, that uh, forced me to light uh, light the sets as I would light the location and most of it almost almost all of it uh, was lit uh, either with practicals or lights coming through the windows um, mm. and uh, that's how the look for Orange is the Black developed. Yeah, uh, ver- very much sort of a uh, in- enhanced naturalism sort of thing. Is that to be? That's right. I think it's a, a look that really serves the story because I know there's makeup and everything else, but uh, that show um, is supposed to have, I think, maybe that edge of realism. If that, if that is that a fair criticism to say that, like it's it's not supposed to be uh, airbrushed, uh, you know, very uh, slick and glossy. It has an element uh, of that, but it's like there's an edge. There's an edge that feels that feels like you could be in that world, and that it's not completely a uh, a made up farcical place that you that is only in imagination. You could walk right into those those sets and really run into those exactly those exactly yeah. but it was still important to have some control over lighting because uh, you know we had a lot of people in khaki against uh, against uh, brown walls you know uh, mm. so uh, there, there needed to be some separation um, uh, w- with lighting so I think we found a nice balance uh, I, I think so too it's a, it's a it's a great look uh, okay so um, uh, other really sort of like uh, big project of yours that I, I want to talk about uh, is Crazy Rich Asians because it was just such a monster hit and uh, did I hear recently there's a sequel being made too is that is, do, do you know if that's true is that um, 
Yes, um, we don't know exactly when uh, because uh, the director John Chu has uh, has other engagements before he can he can join. Uh, can start working on it, uh, but uh, there will definitely be a sequel. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Well, uh, I, I, I hope that comes around. I hope that you get to be a part of that as well, too. I know that everyone is, is busy and, and always doing other stuff, but Crazy Rich Asians, how does, how does, how do you come to that project? How does that, that come about? Well, I was, uh, I was fortunate to, uh, I, I worked on uh, Netflix series Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. Um, I did uh, two seasons in Malaysia mm. and other countries. We shot uh, the very interesting experience. It was very different from anything I've done previously. Uh, uh, lots of action mm-hmm. uh, scenes, uh, working with stunts, um, and it was also a massive crew. We worked with. We had two full units. You know, we were shooting it. W- well, one unit would be shooting episode one. The other unit would be shooting episode three. So uh, it was. I don't know if it's ever. It was ever done that way before. I, I know Game of Thrones had a different units for different countries, but we were moving together tr- with with two full units. So I had a great experience collaborating with the other DP, uh, French DP called uh, Romain Lacruba. And uh, we, uh, we, we just had to collaborate because, uh, because it was... The show's so big. It was a big show and also th- we didn't have a pilot, uh, really, oh, wow. because okay. pilot was being still being shot when we were shooting episode three. So we had to, we had to work really closely together. Uh, and it was, it was uh, something that could have been a really a nightmare, but it turned out to be a great, uh, greatest, greatest experience because we had we had to learn from each other because we were such a different, such, such a different DPs, uh, and uh, so I was learning from him and uh, he was learning from me. We were uh, discussing of what we were going to do next, and and uh, uh, that was that was fantastic experience. Uh, Tim Coddington, who was a line producer on Marco Polo, got uh, hired for Crazy Rich Asians, mm. and. Uh, he put me in touch with the director John Chu mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, Nina Jacobson, the producer, uh, as somebody who has had ha- had previous experience uh, working in Southeast Asia. I met with uh, John off the phone and uh, we clicked uh, because he he was talking about how how important for him it is to for this uh, film to have a different look. So it doesn't look like a, like a typical romantic comedy. And uh, I immediately uh, realized how ambitious uh, he was about this film. And uh, I got really interested and uh, I was fortunate to be hired for the film. Uh, well, you did a great job with, with the look of that movie too. That, that movie uh, has, well, it has, I would say, a multitude of looks inside of it actually too. Although it is, uh, you know, it's definitely a comedy. The, the sequences that go on inside the, at the giant mansion and stuff, the very lavish and uh, slow motion. And so it, it's, it's, it's highly stylized and a lot of fun. I mean, I, I look around, uh, I have a tendency to do this sometimes in a darkened theater, but I look around to see how engaged everyone else is. Uh-huh. At some point I go like, is everyone else feeling the same way I am about this moment? And look around and like, there's not too many movies I've been to lately where um, I felt like everyone was into the story. Everyone was into the story. And I, and I felt like it was a very diverse crowd of people who went to the, to that theater. It was not just, you know, it was not just uh, women age 18 to 49 in that theater. There was a lot, there was a lot of guys in there. And I think there was a lot of people really enjoyed that movie. I mean, it hit all the quadrants, as they say. Uh, it had, had broad appeal. And I think that the look that you bring to that story has a lot to do with it. The, the actors and the directing and the writing and all that's important. But really, if, uh, if the visuals aren't matching or if people can't buy into it, that, that's a huge impediment. And it wasn't. In fact, I would say that people are more sucked into that story because of the way that it looked. And I, I think that there's a, there's a good reason that 
I mean, you don't get to those numbers unless people are going back and seeing that movie multiple times. And people did. They went back and saw that a bunch right. of times. So uh, so kudos to you, to you for that. And I'm really glad that you basically, I mean, here's the thing. The talk, in, at least in the circles I run in with people, was that romantic comedy was, if it wasn't dead, it was on life support. There was not a lot of romantic comedies. But that movie's bringing it back. And I think that when more of these romantic comedies start to come back, I bet you'll see other people trying to emulate the look and style that, that you brought forth on that. So we're, we're not technically, we're, we're okay, we're, we're not exactly a technical podcast, but I'd like to talk just slightly technical, if we could, for that about that movie for a moment, because you did something kind of unusual in that, well, not necessarily unusual, uh, you did something really, I'm going to say smart, because I happen to know a lot about the tech, and I know that you used Veracam Pures, or used the Veracam with the new uh, raw recording modules, which are an amazing cameras. How did you come to choose that? How did you come? To, I, I assume you probably worked with them before, maybe on on Orange or on something else. It's very much against the grain. The, in the technical world, people say, "Oh, it's airy," or "Oh, it's red," but you chose Panasonic, and uh, I, I know a lot about the the camera system. But I'd like to hear wh- why why you did that. Well, for me, the, the, the main reason was uh, was the dual uh, native sensitivity that the camera has. And uh, I uh, discovered Vericam on, uh, when I was looking for a low-light camera for Deduce. Because uh, uh, Deduce was going to be shot uh, on locations. Uh, most of the story takes place at night. And uh, I wanted to have the flexibility of using uh, available light sources when, when possible. I heard about this camera. I tested it, and I was... Uh, I was really uh, blown away by the results when you could combine so many different uh, ISO settings um, uh, that cut together seamlessly, uh, which which just allowed me uh, some freedoms that I didn't have before. Like, y- uh, you know, y- you don't have to be held uh, hostage by light levels that you set up for the first shot, and then you don't have the opportunity to relight. Uh, you can change you can change the ISOs even ISO settings even inside of a single scene. Uh, and uh, on the do so, I used I used it uh, used it uh, used different ISO settings uh, all the time. And I felt when uh, when I realized how m- how fast we are going to have to move on on crazy situations mm-hmm. that uh, that having this flexibility would help us. We, we were considering a, a large format, uh, but we realized that we we will only have limited time to capture all these all these locations uh, uh, in Singapore and. Uh, we we spent only three weeks in Singapore and we we had to capture every every major landmark there. Uh, so so uh, I really believe that that flexibility would, would help us. Combined with the with the hawk anamorphics, we still still had a like a nice big anamorphic look. But it was the decision was mainly driven by the by the speed uh, by wi- which we had to work with. I think you made a great choice. It's a <laughs> it's such a it's such a great looking movie. Um, let's uh, let's jump back to the Deuce. In my experience with the Deuce. Uh, the well, just from, from talking to other people on the show, and I could be getting myself into trouble here and saying the totally the wrong thing, but we had um, Sonny Bear in the, on the show, and uh, he is he is behind a uh, uh, electronic grain technology. Mm-hmm. Do, do I recall correctly that the Deuce was like either one of the first or one of the, the they, they used this uh, this proprietary grain technology in to create that the look of the show? Is that uh, yes, yes. Um, it's it's I was a little bit suspicious about you know any any kind of a grain uh, any any kind of texturizer because uh, 
you know, so many of them have been bad. So many of the, like, you know, well, there's, mostly there's, 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 there's reason to be very skeptical about right. it. So, yeah, so. I was very skeptical about the, about the, any texturizer. And then, uh, uh, but when I saw this, that it wasn't really just a, just like a filter of the whole image, that uh, it was really uh, working differently in different, different areas of the image and was adding depth, actually. This technology really adds depth to the image. Uh, it became part, uh, of, part of the aesthetic. Right. Yeah. Right. Before the deuce, I was very skeptical uh, of any any texturizers because uh, they all felt just like a filter and uh, and a bad simulation of, of film texture. But with live grain, it was a completely new technology, and it actually adds a depth to the image by by adding different kind of texture uh, to the highlights and different kind of texture to the to the shadows, like film. <laughs> like, like, like like film, yeah. and uh, I think we're only at the beginning of realizing what we can do with this tool because uh, bringing the texture back as a part of another ex mean of expression for us that we lost when we when we uh, moved to moved to digital. Um, you know, cinematographers used used to expose film differently b if they wanted different texture, uh, and that was just part of uh, part of the creative decisions that we were making. And uh, once we moved to digital, basically every you know, every camera pretty much looked the same. Um, yeah, that's true. And uh, but now with this technology, I think we have the opportunity to 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 start exploring texture again. And now we can go beyond. I think just simulating film texture. I think uh, this tool allows us to do uh, much more with the texture and uh, and really make it part of the s storytelling decisions. Yeah, I believe when when we spoke with Sonny, he was saying that. Uh, this allows us to have textures not that just emulate film, but textures for film stocks that have never existed, which uh, which is kind of fun, that you can kind of create your own uh, film grain, not the simulation, but actual, like, um, an algorithm that reproduces or creates grain in the quantities and sizes that, that you desire. And I know I'm going down the rabbit hole and probably just lost like 80% of our audience, but really <laughs> what we're talking about, <laughs> all this back up is that, is like, um, is that maybe subtle, maybe not so subtle uh, texture that film had that was a very different sort of aesthetical experience than watching what a lot of people consider very clean, very digital sort of look. Film is photochemical. Film, uh, you know, I hate to use the word organic, but it's uh, it's non-repeating. You don't get to see the same pattern over and over again. It is 100% uh, original, and I know that the live grain does something similar in that uh, you can you can basically embed every single frame to have a unique texture that is not repeated, which is which is incredible. So. Right. So the deuce, uh, I, you got a lot of accolades for that too. A lot of people talked about the look of you know simulating something that's supposed to take place in the 1970s. Clearly not shot in the 1970s, but has a very convincing sort of uh, retro feel, but also but also modern and with a lot of texture. I mean, I know this is a little bit more sort of the uh, style or mood of some of the other stuff that you that you've done. But what did you want to create for that show? And I assume that was probably in collaboration with the directors and with other people and what they wanted. But how does how does the look of the Deuce come about? So um, with the the Deuce. Um one of the early decisions was how to approach the creation of, of uh, recreation of uh, 70s uh, New York City. And uh, some early ideas were uh, trying to uh, go about it as uh, try to make it look like a found footage, something that was shot in the 70s on 16 millimeter film and was lit uh, like you had to light for, uh, for a film of, of that time. I thought it, was, it would maybe be more interesting rather than simulate the look of the films from the 70s to try to 
uh, find a look that looked like the 70s. And uh, that approach required to be very, very true to the, to the um, light sources that would be around on those locations at the time and the color of those light, light sources. Um, so that was the basis for me. And uh, since I had this, uh, uh, since I had a camera that was super sensitive, I could really use the uh, some some of the original fixtures uh, from the 70s. We used real neon signs. Um, wow, that's great. Uh, from that era, uh, which you can imagine were very temperamental um, and uh, hard to control. But I thought it was worth it. Um, that was the basic. That was the basic approach. It, well, it it certainly is very. Uh, it certainly got a lot of uh, attention for its look, and the the 1970s has been sort of popular and in vogue in the last uh, ten years. But uh, I, I will say that I don't think most the most other 1970s styled stuff captures what it felt like to be the 1970s versus going after that look of hey, it's it's what movies looked like in the 1970s. Right. Right. So uh, so I think that I think that was a that was a very wise choice. Um, what's what's next for you? Do you have uh, something uh, that you're going on to right now? What's your what's your next project? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I'm uh, I'm looking into several different projects, uh, but probably nothing before the spring next year. Taking a break then and yeah. uh, and enjoying Camera Maj, which is where we're where we're at right now. We're, right. In, we're in Poland. Uh, have you have you been to this festival before? What do you, what do you think? I've been here twice before. Uh, it was always a short trip, uh, just two two days, three days stop. Uh, this time I'm staying a little longer, and uh, I'm really enjoying meeting uh, other DPs and uh, the conversation. It's really unique experience, um, and uh, I'm having a great time. It really isn't like anywhere else, and I think that it's it's pretty amazing that we get to have this experience and and bump into to to so many different people because, you know, being a cinematographer is sometimes a very uh, I won't say lonely, but very solo uh, a, a career. You don't uh, you know it's wonderful when you do like the Marco Polos and you get to to work with other great. Uh, people you can collaborate but usually when the credits go by you only see one director of photography on, on a right. project and um, uh, this kind of gives you an, an a way to in a very casual setting to run into a whole lot of other people whose work you may have uh, you may have seen over the years or and, and maybe not met any anyone here that you've uh, enjoyed running into yes well many people I, I, I can't really really uh, uh, single one out single one <laughs> out but uh, it was it was really uh, great to be able to talk to people not only about the uh, art and, and craft of what we do and uh, and uh, and movies that we've shot, but also about life and the challenges of being a cinematographer and uh, how it affects your life, uh, and uh, just have intimate conversations with other people who ha have similar experiences. I agree completely. That is um, <laughs> so something that people don't necessarily realize what what comes along with the job and. I know that uh, Haskell Wexler. He used to say that uh, this this industry cost him three three marriages. So and it's it's a lot of work and a lot of time away. But uh, the only way you really get to uh, know other people and what other people are going through, going through, I think, is to you know connect with them. And this has been a, a good experience for that. So I think that's a great place to leave it right there. And uh, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. Where can people find you? I have just recently uh, uh, opened an Instagram account, and uh, because I. I, I just like to be able to share uh, the pictures of the places uh, that I travel to. I travel a lot. And sometimes, you know, it's, I travel alone. Uh, and uh, it's just a way of me to, you know, when you when you see something amazing and you want to share it with somebody. So it's a lot of, uh, it's like a, like a travelogue. Ah, really. fun. I'm also uh, using a, a Facebook uh, mm -hmm. account uh, like Instagram. It's mostly mostly pictures or art, interesting articles about cinematography. Nice. 
All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So that was Vanya Chernel. Thank you so much. Thanks, Vanya. It was so much fun. We should have you back. Definitely. We, we say that literally to everybody. But you know what? We're going to make it happen. All these people who did the show, guess what? We're going to we're gonna call them They're again. just going to keep making movies and TV stuff. <laughs> and eventually, eventually we're going to like, hey, you've developed a whole, you went off and had a whole series of adventures. Well, well, you know, if we do that too, we can start to talk to people maybe like just about one thing. Like there's some other yeah. shows out there. Actually, there's another podcast out there about filmmaking, which I noticed has uh, decided to copy uh, Alana Cody's uh, Instagram and posting style, which I thought was Whoa. like really awesome. So I was like, hey, we were actually, we're, we're being influential to some other shows, which is, which is cool. Sweet. So, so Illy, you know what time it is now? Uh, bill paying time. Let's pay those bills. You know, uh, the way we're going to pay the bills today for our wonderful sponsor, Airy, is to uh, talk about something actually they just posted on their website, which is a wonderful story about the capturing of a stunning solar eclipse in Chile with the uh, Alexa LF camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, LF stands for Larry Fong. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Larry Fong says, but it is large format. Got it. And uh, it, it's a really, really great uh, story because, of course, how difficult is it to shoot straight into an eclipse? And they did this for a narrative project. And it's like uh, really amazing. And it's called Nomad. And uh, yeah, they kind of go through. It's a, it's a love story. It plays out on seven continents. Um, and really, there's some technical stuff about the camera and the signature prime lenses and all the ways that they went about preparing for and shooting and exposing for this actual eclipse that's happening. And it's, it's just spectacular. And uh, if anyone would like to, um, to see it, it's on the Airy uh, Instagram as well as on their website. I'm so going to check that out. That sounds really cool. Totally check that out. It's, it's worth, uh, it's worth a, a read and a watch. And now, short ends. So, Ilya, what is your short end for the week? My short end's interesting. Okay, by the time that uh, people hear this, it's going to be Shark Week. And I got to give a shout out to a good... Uh, Not to be confused with Shark Week. Go on. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. It's just a week. What you, what it's, you... it's a week where you fart until you shit in your pants. Oh, you really, really are pushing this whole, like, you know, explicit content thing. Sorry. It's, it's, been, you know, it's, all, it's all good. Anyway. <laughs> Come on, I, I don't I don't mind like cheap shots, but that that cheap shot is really cheap. I've that, been making this Shark Week joke for like geez. fifteen years. Okay, so uh, Shark Week, which uh, I talked to someone recently, they said that's the only reason they still have cable is that they look forward every year really? to yeah to Shark Week, and and uh, I understand it. There are some networks out there that they build their lineup around special programming like this. Interesting. And uh, actually, a good friend of our show, uh, Rob Henry, he uh, edits a lot of Shark Week content, and I know they have eighteen like shark documentaries that are all going to be coming out. So I mean, I'm really glad that we have this fascination with sharks, but isn't it time to switch to piranha or hey, gi- giant squid or something? You know, uh, production company, uh, The Asylum, has produced, uh, I don't even know how many shark-based they're, movies. They're documentaries are. about tornadoes that bring <laughs> sharks around. It's a true story. Uh, I, I think They seem to attack has-been actors mostly, well, I or t- musicians. I will tell you, though, the thing about uh, the thing about sharks is like it gets into the psyche. I think that Jaws and, you know, and Steven Spielberg uh, mm-hmm. are owed some credit for this. But yeah, there's a fascination with 
with sharks that runs really deep through the society. So and and uh, anyway, I I'm really I won't say sharks aren't fascinating. I'm just like, man, oh, man, how long can we milk the shark? Oh, it, it, it turns out uh, there's still a shark week every year. So, yeah. uh, who, who knows? Uh, the other thing that's happening right now is the Emmy nominations just came out. And some of Speaking your Speaking of Shark Week. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but some of your favorite stuff and some of my favorite stuff received Emmy noms. And Sweet. of course, that's coming up in September. So we'll get to see who wins. But uh, I, I, I know that uh, Game of Thrones broke all kinds of records, like 32 nominations or something like that, yeah. which is which is really interesting. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. because Barry, that, too, right? Barry. Barry got a lot of it. Yeah. HBO did did very well. But also shows like uh, Ozark on Netflix did extremely well. Uh, which, great show. Great show. And I know that's coming back and I'm super looking forward to it. Uh, also, uh, Better Call Saul, who, you know, uh, that show, man, uh, Better Call Saul is just it's such a gem. And it's crazy to think that it's it's spun off of Breaking Bad, which I, I think was one of the best TV series ever made. And then Better Call Saul, in, in a lot of ways, is every bit as good and kind of a deeper show. It's it's crazy. Uh, I am delighted to call them clients of Hot Red Cameras. I They actually buy stuff from us. So and we I'm, even I'm, had like a shout out from Bob Odenkirk, right? Didn't we have a video? We did, yeah. yeah. Bob Odenkirk actually was on the a video portion of but, the show, which you can watch right now if you go to the Cinematography Podcast channel on YouTube. It's just, you know, one of a few little shorts things on there. But yeah, we we have a little thing. Maybe we'll do more if some more people start and, watching. And I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying any of this because Bob Odenkirk gave us a shout out. I think Better Call Saul is one of the best shows on television and it and and I feel like if it was described to me, I don't know that I would be like outrageously compelled to watch it. And yet, like, I can't stop watching it when a season is going. Yeah, it's it, it's fantastic. Uh, and I, Bob Odenkirk, as a, as a performer, just kills it every time. Michael McKean, so great on the show. Bob Odenkirk, so great on the show. Like, t- that, that whole cast total, is. Total side trip. I watched the, uh, the Neil Gaiman uh, series on Amazon Prime mm-hmm. yeah, of yeah. Uh, Good Omens. Michael McKean is freaking amazing in that when did michael mckeon become like the best actor who ever lived are you kidding he's been the best actor for he's, he's, he's so, so good yeah I, I, maybe laverne and shirley maybe that's, maybe then yeah, yeah. so he, he's yeah huge fan if if if, if michael mckeon if you actually listen to this we'd love to have you on i'd love to yeah. talk to you about cinematography and all the stuff you've done i bet he knows a lot about cinematography I he strikes me as that kind oh, of person absolutely 100 percent. best so. buddies with christopher guest yeah of course yeah so. star of uh, and many, co-star of many of his movies tons of his stuff which, so. which were shot by Roberto Schaefer. Of course, uh, many of them were. So yeah, you know, also guest of the show. Guest of the show. So, Fantastic guest. So we of the just show. we just so. Kevin Bacon the shit out of that. We did. We our 6 degrees of separation became 1 degree. Awesome. So. All right. So Ben, what's your short end? My short end is uh, okay, so uh maybe 10 years or so ago I started getting into Adobe After Effects. Uh, and it was when it was less than 10 years ago. It was when uh, Gareth Edwards movie Monsters came out and oh, I sure. and I saw like, oh, okay, Here's a guy who was able to do all his own visual effects, and I'm not necessarily that guy. Around that time, I met Kays is Kays Alatrachi, our composer, totally is. Around that time, I met a, a dude named Matthew Santoro when I was working on the Dark Tower uh, development for uh, for Imagine. And Matthew is the same thing. He's a director who does a lot of VFX, and I'm like, God damn it, I have to learn VFX. So I started learning VFX. Um, I like the way you said that too. God damn it. <laughs> so. I, it was something I always thought VFX or something that I'm going to farm out to the, the nerds yeah. in nerd country to you do. You do not have to know this skill. You're going to, yeah. you're going to have I'm, someone I'm going to be an, a director. And then like, eventually I was horn swoggled into being an editor and a director. And then it's like, Oh, it's more and more jobs. So around that time I discovered something, which I believe already was one of my short ends, a thing called video copilot. Sure. And they had a collection called 
action essentials that were at the time very high res 2K assets when 2K was like, oh man, am I ever going to need a 2K asset? You might and, still need and it. And so they, they were, uh, you know, uh, smoke and fog and and bullet hits and blood and water and like all these all these elements that you might incorporate creatively. Okay, so uh, they released that, I don't know how long ago, it was probably like 2010 or so. So now there's another company called Action VFX. If you go to actionvfx.com, you can find them. And not sponsoring the, of the show. They're not, not a sponsor. Yet. I don't know them. I don't know anything about them, but I have watched a bunch of their videos. So what they kind of did was take, uh, I don't know that they did it this consciously. They took every element of Action Essentials and then a few other elements and blew it up. Now, the collections are kind of expensive, but they do outrageously specific wow, stuff good. with fire and explosions and blood and like, you know, like basically you can create all kinds of amazing stuff. And, you know, a lot of times you go like, okay, like does this stuff get used in real stuff? So there's a horror movie that came out uh, kind of recently called Ma. Yeah. And uh, I haven't seen it, but apparently a house gets burned down. And uh, I was watching their, uh, I, was, I, I because I, I check out their stuff, I, I get their emails and they had like a reel of stuff from Ma that used their fire effects, and their fire effects are pretty amazing. I, I'm on their website right now, and I can uh, concur with everything you were saying. They yeah. they look like they kick serious butt. Yeah, well, and they're all like they're not. Uh, I'm sure some of them incorporate some CGI, but I think most of them are a real element. So like they do a real explosion, and then they key it out so that you you just ha- kind of have a pre-keyed explosion element that you can drop in, and it's like. It, it's not a replacement for being a good filmmaker, but it is a, like if you've ever been on a set and you had to light something on fire or you've ever been on a set and you had to add you had to fire a, a blank gun. The danger, s- danger. The, they're danger. dangerous. Yeah, there are safety elements. There are safety meetings you're going to have. I mean, honestly, if you're on a real production, the muzzle yeah. flashes alone are, are worth it um, with any of the collections. And, and there are several collections. I mean, honestly, in, in the um, action essentials from Video Copilot, they have some really good muzzle flashes. But it's like on a set, if you have an armorer and you bring out a blank gun and you're going to do a shot that involves firing a blank, you've just kissed away 20 to 30 minutes of your of your day yeah. to planning it out and safety meetings and handing out uh, handing out earplugs. A little bit of an expense, too. I'm guessing. Uh, for yeah. sure. Well, yeah. it's, a, it's a separate person. Whereas like when I worked on Chosen for um, for Sony, uh, Crackle rather. Uh, like we just used airsoft guns, so you don't need an armor. These guns aren't shooting anything; they they just expend a little bit of CO two, so there's a little bit of kickback, but they're extremely safe to work with, and you can run with them all day. And you basically just need props people to handle them because yeah. you're not like a blank. If you put a if I put a a, no, bl- no, a it's blank, it's a whole you, different thing. If it's I put a blank dangerous. on it, you and yeah. shoot and shoot, you can be injured uh, or killed. People have been killed by blanks. So anyway, I, I would recommend checking out Action VFX. Honestly, check out you know Video Copilot's Action Essentials. There are a number of companies that do these kinds of things, but Action VFX. Uh, I've watched literally every one of their. Uh, I've watched the, the the sample chapters of of every one that they do, and uh, just because I I love that kind of stuff. And even if you're going to do like a real blood element on set or a real smoke element or a real fire element. It's always nice to know that you can add more later. Stuff like that really enables it. And uh, yeah, check them out. Cool. Well, uh, Ben, we've reached that famed end of show. Is it famed? It's super, super famed. This is one people generally, I think, are, are turning us off. 
So bye everybody. Here's some credits. <laughs> hey, let's let's thank all our amazing team. You all know, right, so for the people for our, people who are listening. Let's yeah. thank our amazing producer Alana Cody, without whom nothing happens. That's right. Uh, let's thank our two editors, uh, Ben and Abby. Ben and Abby, editors extraordinaire. Thank you so much. Let's thank, as always, Kay's Alatrakshi, who has listened to probably not a single episode, but it's only because he's been doing VFX and yeah, color grading and like basically doing all the work of everyone who we've ever had on here. Anyway. Yeah, he's also producing a feature right now in another state somewhere. He's, yeah, so. g- guy keeps the lights on. Yeah, uh, but check him out at musicbykays.com and maybe hire him to compose a score for you. He's awesome. He did all the music you've heard on the show. So Ilya, where can people find you? They can find me over at Hot Rod Cameras. And you know, if you come down here and say that you're a fan of the show while supplies last. There might be a free T-shirt for you. Do it. And, and even if there isn't a free T-shirt, you probably have some kind of swag up. Usually, if not from us, from some other people. I know that uh, Sigma dropped off a bunch of cool notebooks the other day. So, uh, yeah. I'll I want a that. Sigma notebook. Oh, play your cards right. Maybe there's a Sigma notebook in your oh, future here. So man, sweet. <laughs> so people can find me at benrockonline.com. And I'm on the Twitter and the, and the Instagrams and the Facebooks and all that stuff. And some people who listen to it have reached out to me. And, uh, yeah, I'll... I, I, I look forward to talking to each and every one of you. Please like and subscribe. Did you know we're on Instagram? Do you know we're on Facebook? Please go do those things and share this podcast with your friends. It will really, really help us. And write a review on, on iTunes. Nothing Almost. helps more than writing a review on iTunes. Review on iTunes is huge. And uh, it, it convinces our sponsors that what we're doing here is worthwhile. So at the very least, you know, uh, help help us help you make more great content <laughs> by we have, we have some really amazing cinematographers coming up. Ooh, so. We sure do. I'm so excited. And I even a, a, a director or two. Yeah, yeah. That'll be fun. All right. Until then, see you in episode 42. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.